It was the deep of winter, January, going back nearly 20 years. I was leading a yoga retreat, and I'd rented a retreat space. I was there with about 10 or 12 of my students, and the space just happened to be a religious space. So the retreat center was religious, specifically Catholic, but they rented to anybody who wanted to have a retreat. So you didn't have to be Catholic, you didn't have to be religious, and they were happy to have us there as people practicing yoga, served us really beautiful food. And the room that we practiced in was a room that was kind of small and they used it for multi-purpose things. And in the corner, one corner of the room, it had a heater, which we had to use a lot of because it was really, really cold. And it was one of those pretty electric fire heaters. So it wasn't hot to the touch like a wood stove. It was just blowing out the front of it. And had, I think it had the fake logs in it and everything. It also had images. There were pictures on one wall of this space, and they were of Christ. They were of Jesus being crucified. They were detailed. They were full of anguish. They were challenging images. And one of the people in the group asked if I could just take them down because they were kind of upsetting for this person to look at. And I can appreciate that, particularly if you've grown up in a certain kind of background. You've seen a lot of those. They have a, they have a meaning for you. And this person didn't want that. And so we just took down, there were three of them, took them down, put them in the corner and went about the rest of our retreat time until it was time for us to go. And I went to go ahead and get those images and put them back up on the wall. Except I couldn't because it just so happened I had put them on top of that cold to the touch little electric fire in the corner and one of them had got stuck to it. Welcome to the only podcast that will bring you more alive while you smash the patriarchy. Join me, Sam Wilde, aka The Fertile Feminist, every week as we shift the paradigm, reclaim our native fertility, and create together the version of ourselves that brings forth our heart's desires and changes the world. I haven't told this story very many times to very many people actually because this is a story that kind of fills me with a terrible sense of shame. When I discovered that one of those pictures was now damaged, I had to go of course and tell the owners of the retreat center. It was so embarrassing and horrifying to me that I had damaged this religious image. And it was also shame inducing in the sense that I did it in a very public way. I had to do it in front of all of these. Everybody knew that this is what happened. All of my students knew. And just to give you a little more context, I the way that the room was set up, there wasn't any other place to put it. And there was a bit of a shelf over this electric fireplace. And also, as I said, it had been cool to the touch. So all all things had led me to believe that I could safely put it over there. It wasn't, for example, just tossing things onto a wood stove. All that said, it was just, oh, I can't even quite describe to you. I can still catch a little bit of the feeling that I had all those years ago when I went. And of course, I, I paid the cost to replace the damaged piece of art. But after we were doing our checkout in this group of this yoga retreat, and one person said to me, well, it makes perfect sense, Sam, because you're an iconoclast. 
Now that word is a fantastic word. I mean, I would be very happy to be an iconoclast because in my mind, someone who's iconoclastic is someone who's radical, someone who is original thinker, someone who is guessing that the way we are doing things is not right. And the technical definition of iconoclast is somebody who destroys icons. And as it happened, that's exactly what I did. That's a very literal way in which I was iconoclastic because those were literal physical icons. And I did, in fact, at least partially damage one of them. But the kind of iconoclastic work that I've done my whole life has been really about destroying icons of thought. We have ways that we do things and ways that we live, systems that have been assumed to be correct or right or the proper way, sometimes only for dozens of years, sometimes for hundreds of years. And I consider the term fertile feminist to actually be iconoclastic because the word fertile belongs to the Duggars. The word fertile belongs to people who are pro-life. The word fertile belongs to people who don't give a rat's ass about reproductive justice. The word fertile belongs to those women who are popping out baby after baby, right? A fertile myrtle. Think about all your connotations with someone who is, is fertile and has lots of children. These are people we can categorize as being a certain way and living a certain way. And to me, we're, it's, it's shaking up what has become sort of an icon, like for a fertile person is this kind of a person. Well, that's not true when you pair it with feminist, right? Well, even feminist itself has become kind of a, oh, cert, has a certain thought about it, which to me is not true at all, which is the thought about it is that it's this kind of an angry, upset, hag kind of person. And that's, of course, not the meaning of the word. The meaning of the word is very redemptive, very humanitarian, very expansive. All of us actually are born equal. We're men and women and everything in between and all the identities and all the expressions. So another definition of iconoclast is a person who attacks cherished beliefs or institutions. And that's certainly something that I'm doing, want to be doing, and have done for a long time, but not just on purpose. I was, in fact, an accidental iconoclast in that retreat center all those many, many years ago. I didn't want to damage their religious icons. And that's been my approach as a minister. There's nobody's icons that I want to damage. I go into all kinds of religious places. And I love that people get to love the expression of God in all different forms. But a lot of the iconoclasm I do is, in fact, accidental. I want you to think about who you are. I want you to think about all the different pieces that make up who you are. When we think about wanting to come alive and come alive truly as ourselves, a lot of what we're doing is fetching different parts of ourselves, collecting them back, giving them attention, and letting them be a part of the whole. There isn't anyone I know who isn't walking around with different parts of themselves, the sense that they've been divided. I'm going to use myself as an example. When I was growing up, we went to the Congregational Church in Williamstown. It's a beautiful church. It's a beautiful town. We were visiting there the other day, an absolutely giant spire going up. It was a lovely, lovely place. And I liked it there. And I got my little Bible there. And it had a lot of meaning for me. And simultaneous to that, 
I fancied myself a witch. My mother had just happened to have a lot of wonderful books about witches, including one called Witches by the feminist Erica Jong, which is a gorgeous book. If you've never seen it, you should get a hold of it. It has incredible art and it's written very beautifully and it's very magical and very mystical. And I was a child who went to church and thought of herself as a witch and didn't see any problem with any of that. As I grew older, I was able to understand that the witch is an archetype, and just like the mother archetype, an archetype that's alive inside of me. And it didn't mean for me that I was drawn in particular to Wiccan tradition or to the pagan tradition. And I talked about this a little bit in the podcast from last week, talking about my trip to Salem and being in search of the Great Mother and being in a territory where they quote-unquote celebrate witches, because of course the, the podcast last week was about representation. But I do want to break it down just a little bit. So we're kind of in the season of the witch here as we're heading into Halloween. And it's important that we th understand that the witch trials that happened in this country and in Europe weren't actually about getting hands-on and killing people who were practicing pagan religion or Wiccan religion. In fact, most of the people who were hung or killed were people who were going, well, kind of like me, folks, who were going to church and likely at, in the U.S. some kind of a Puritan or congregational church. I want to read to you a little bit. I, there's a wonderful book I have called In Defense of Witches. The Legacy of the Witch Hunts and Why Women Are Still on Trial by a French writer named Mona Cholet. I'm not saying her last name right. I'm absolutely sure of that. But anyhow, it has a foreword in it. And I'm going to read to you just a few words from this foreword. Because when we think about who was killed in the witch hunts, we're thinking that women were killed. We do not burn, hang, or drown as many women now as we did in the past, but there is no shortage of ways women's lives continue to be destroyed. Women are abused, assaulted, economically disempowered, raped, shoved into the margins, pressured, silenced, ignored, treated as guinea pigs, co-opted, stolen from, misrepresented, forced into pregnancy or servitude, imprisoned, and yes, sometimes murdered. Every possible decision modern women make or role they occupy outside of the most rigorous and regressive can be tied back to the very symptoms of witchcraft. Refusal of motherhood, rejection of marriage, ignoring traditional beauty standards, bodily and sexual autonomy, homosexuality, aging, anger, even a general sense of self-determination. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more enduring and potent archetype than the witch. She has served as a shorthand for women's power and potential, and for some the threat of those things for much of human history. That was from the foreword, and that the foreword, let me make double-check the name here, it was written by Carmen Maria Machado, that was from the foreword of the book In Defense of Witches. And that's fantastic, isn't it, what she says? And it's important because this archetype of the witch is very intimately connected with the work of feminism 
And that's because feminism is about remembering the equality of all people. And in order to remember it, we need restitution for those who've been oppressed, which is women. And she's talking about all the ways that women continue to be oppressed, damaged, hurt, killed, and so forth. And she says there that the root of it is this historical legacy of killing the witch and that the witch archetype has come to represent all those things, right? All the things that have been abhorrent in a woman. I don't know if you noticed the first thing that she mentioned is not being a mother, right? So the women who were killed as witches, who weren't practicing, likely weren't practicing what we think of as Wicca or a neo-pagan tradition, they were likely doing other things. In some cases, they were midwives, and in some cases, they were herbalists and healers. But a lot of these people were just really killed for being women. They were killed for owning property. They were killed for being independent. They were killed for not being married. And that's important, that we remember that the kind of hysteria that happened was irrational. If we think, oh, all those witch hunts were really just about uh, a religious oppression of pagans, it's not, that's not actually what was happening. And I'm not saying pagans aren't oppressed, but I'm saying for those historical moments in time in the European witch hunts and in this country, something else was at work and it was misogyny. Yet those women were possibly also something else. They were iconoclasts. Whether they were operating inside of their churches or not, which likely many of them were, going to church every Sunday and still accused of being witches, they were questioning with their lived experience those cherished and long-held beliefs and structures about what was right and what was wrong, what's true and what's the way to live. They were perhaps, like myself, accidental iconoclasts, and many of them may have been on purpose iconoclasts, but they were living out the junction of different identities that we think can't coexist. Like, for example, the fertile feminist, or like, for example, the minister who's also a witch. Now, how can that even be possible? I've been a minister, I took my vows a long time ago. I've served in all kinds of settings and I've served in denominational Christian churches. I've probably read the Bible. I've definitely read it more than anybody else I know. I read it, I read lots of spiritual Christian things. I've listened to just so much. I've really, I've really been steeped in it, friends. I've really been steeped in it. And it has resonance for me, the Christ, and I have a personal experience of Jesus in my life. So how can I be that person simultaneously and also have any kind of identification with the witch, right? Because wasn't the witch something that was against all of those things? Well, that's why it's important that we separate out Wicca and Neopagan, again, beautiful, wonderful traditions, and what was happening to these women who were burned as witches, because they weren't necessarily practicing different religions from the Christian religion. In fact, a lot of what they were accused of doing was having sex with the devil. And it was Christianity that made the devil. So it was all kind of in part and parcel of a tradition that already existed. Well, come with me for a second to hear some of the words of Erica Jong in her book, Witches, which is the one I began recommending to you. 
Listen to what she says in the beginning of her book. Let the doors to your prejudices swing open. In order to understand witches, we must put aside our automatic beliefs that the deity is male, that the moon is sinister while the sun is friendly, that the female principle is dark, unruly, anarchic, while the male is orderly, rational, wise. We must strip away, in short, all the preconceptions our culture has heaped upon our bowed heads. We must understand that most of the major religions in the world today, Muslim, Jewish, Christian, function in one sense as apologias for a patriarchal worldview, that this is not the only possible worldview, that it is neither absolute nor immutable, that human beings have worshipped gods and goddesses in many forms, tree, animal, human, female as well as male, androgynous as well as genderless, and that the way we characterize the deity is less important than what than that we do acknowledge a divine spirit both within and without ourselves. Wow. Swing the doors to your prejudices wide open. Let them be swung wide open. That is the way of the iconoclast. That is the way of one who is centering their identity in iconoclasm, right? To say everything can be questioned here in our systems, including the patriarchal system, including the capitalistic system, including the consumptive system, including how we conceive of the witch. My children are getting ready. They really like Halloween. They enjoy dressing up. That's not what I do. I don't love dressing up. I don't particularly love the uh, Halloween as it is in our capitalist culture. But they always say to me, Mom, what are you going to be? What are you going to be? And I say, I'm a wee witch. But you're a witch every year. Yes, I'm a witch every year because I'm a witch. (laughs) I tell them that I'm a witch and I'm a witch every year. Now, if I walk into any of the churches that I've served in and I say, I'm a witch, we're going to have a problem. Now, that's not going to be 100% true 100% of the time with 100% of the people. There are plenty of people who have already swung open the doors of their prejudice, who have already understand that there's more complication, more subtlety, more sophistication, and more nuance in all of these concepts, including, you know, who Jesus was, what he did, and what the Christ is. But for a lot of people, that would seem offensive. It would seem anti it would seem wrong. It would seem against what they are and who they represent. And that's because the archetype, this idea of the witch, has come to be about awful things, you know, terrible things, violent things, this murderous hag, somebody who's going to do something against you. And the fact that that's become an idea that we hold does not mean that it's real or true. As a little girl, it wasn't hard for me to hold disparate parts of myself together. I was uh, happy with my beautiful little Bible, and I read it all the time, actually, surprisingly, strangely enough. And I just loved knowing that I was a witch. And I, I poured over that Erica Jong book, and I was just so conscious of the fact that magic was everywhere. And 
these parts and other parts of me, my mother that was alive with it, all the babies, and I've talked a little bit about the mother archetype, and I'll talk more about a little bit last week. All of the different parts were alive. They all coexisted because they can in the life and the mind of a child. A child can wake up one day and say, I'm a boy today. And the next day they can feel like a girl and they can be a dog in the next day. And they can because they have that broad expanse of reach that Erica Jong was talking about. Because we have made it so that you, everything is so closed and everything is so limited by prejudice and not just intelligent prejudice, but erroneous prejudice, people have become trapped inside of identities that don't serve them. To be fertile, to be awake to the the lush, abundant, natural fertility of our lives, of our hearts, of our minds. One would say, one could say, our God-given fertility, you know, that which we've come inborn with. To be in touch with that, there's this piece of, you know, sighing, releasing, opening, expanding, and welcoming the iconoclast, welcoming that inside us, which is willing to smash, on purpose or accidentally, willing to smash those icons, not just other that other people have given us, but that exist in our thought. Because all too often, the patriarchy that exists outside exists within, and the hatred that exists outside exists within. And while I'm absolutely for changing social structures, the first step, hmm, the first step, is for us inside of ourselves to come to that place where, oh, look at, uh, nobody else is even like me. Nobody else is even holding these, these particular groupings of different identities, but I am, and I'm going to make space for all of them. I don't know if you heard that part with, where, and I read to you from Erica Jung, but she said, there's, it's less important how we characterize deity and more important that we find it and acknowledge it within and without ourselves. So much has been lost in the patriarchy, in the way that we both sell spirituality in these modern days, we really do, and in the way we oppress around it. Because the real goal isn't, can you uh, get closer to the goddess by having six rocks that you purchase at a stone store, right? And it's not that, you know, can you get closer to Jesus because you are going to church religiously every single Sunday. None of those actions bring about the real relationship and connection. To be connected to our source, to be connected to a concept of deity, to be connected to a living, vital spirituality doesn't actually require buying anything, nor does it require attendance at any congregation. Those things might serve you, they might help you, they might improve your life, they might make things more real for you. But to a real extent, all of those things are icons. And until we're really willing to give them up, we don't have to get them up, but just be willing to give them up, we may not know even what we're dealing with in terms of our own sense of identity and connection to the great mystery beyond all understanding. Because the trappings get in the way. 
So here is my challenge for you as we come upon All Hallows' Eve, night before All Saints' Day, celebration of Samhain. Here is my challenge for you that for your celebration, you dress up as yourself. I challenge you to dress up as the wholeness of yourself, the totality of yourself, your most fertile self, the version of yourself where you've gone back and gotten all those pieces together. So, you know, for me, just to give you a visual, what would it be like? Oh my goodness, if I dressed up, if I put on one of my robes and my beautiful prayer stoles, and I also put on my, uh, what I think of as my witch tights or my witch hat, along with all of that, what if I could visually represent all these parts, but maybe then have a, a child with me, bring in my mother archetype also? I can probably think of some other identities. What would yours look like? Now, how fun would it be to think about that costume, particularly if you're someone like me, and many people are, who is holding together all the these uh, separate identities or identities that would seem like they didn't belong with one another. What would it be like to hold them, to be that visual representation? Send me a picture of yourself if you do this, if you dress that way for Halloween. Send me a picture. I would love to see you incarnating then bringing into real space that fertile alive version and what a wonderful and meaningful work we can have as we go into this Halloween smashing the patriarchy smashing it inside of ourselves being iconoclastic in that sense of allowing the doors of prejudice to be swung wide open first in our own minds, our own hearts, our own lives. Until next week, this is me, Samantha Wild, the Fertile Feminist. Thanks so much. I look forward to being with you again. This is me, Sam Wild, aka the Fertile Feminist, and you've been listening to the Fertile Feminist podcast. Find me on YouTube at the Samantha Wild aka The Fertile Feminist, and hit the website, thesamanthawild.com, for all kinds of resources, inspirations, and ideas. Also on Instagram, at The Fertile Feminist. Until next week, may you tap into that native abundance, creativity, fruitfulness, and life force that's going to help us all bring about that more beautiful world that we know is possible.